0: The last symptom of what, exactly? Well, the last symptom of whatever emotional unhealth you're dealing with. For me, it was borderline personality disorder, something I lived with for the first 30-something years of my life. After roughly seven years, I managed to rid myself of this disorder authentically Once and for all. And now I use the insights and the knowledge that I gained from that experience to help others identify and get to the root of their own emotional unhealth. Now I realize some of you might be mentally correct in my use of the word unhealth, and I'll get to that here in a second. But before I do, I'd like to encourage you to visit thelastsymptom.com. There you'll find the growing free resources that I make available. Additionally, while you're there, you can contribute to my work if you'd like, and even schedule one-on-one appointments with me. That's at thelastsymptom.com. Now back to this word, unhealth. Spell checkers won't allow you to write it, but let me assure you that it's a real word. It's a real word because I've made it a real word. And I use the word knowing that it's not in the dictionary. But it should be. And it fits my purposes very well. And everybody understands its meaning, the way that I use it. Therefore, it's a real word. You can feel free to start using it too. And tell the spell checkers to take a hike. You know, a huge part of my escape in borderline personality disorder was coming to the realization that a lot of the professional community is incompetent. And then making up for that incompetence myself. Me adopting the word unhealth is an example of this. It expresses something that needed to be expressed, but was not being expressed. And so, I created the word to fill that vacuum. Speaking about unhealth, I've had the flu all week, so my voice is a little off today. I hope you'll forgive me for that. But let's get back to our discussion. It's easy for us to get caught up in this illusion of authority, wouldn't you say, and then get trapped in a box. For example, most of the people who come to me arrive initially like zombies, totally indoctrinated by the professional community, having blindly adopted There's sometimes idiotic terminology. Terminology like triggers, traits, spectrum, and uh, criteria, radical acceptance, and so on. Critical thought is absolutely imperative for escaping emotional unhealth. So, you see, it's not a small thing. This is why I strongly discourage parroting the professional terminology. First of all, most of that terminology, almost all that terminology, implies bullshit concepts to begin with, so I wouldn't allow it one way or another. For example, is there anything radical about me looking at a tree and calling it a tree? No, there's nothing radical about that at all. What we're describing there is simply acceptance. Acceptance. But the professional community wants to sell you the idea that if you have this same level of acceptance when looking at relationships or at aspects of your relationship, then it's radical in nature. How is that helpful? It's not helpful at all. Acceptance is acceptance. You know, acceptance is just the ability to look at a thing and to not allow our feelings to redefine that thing or distort that thing in any way. I'll give you an example. I'm able to look at my father and say that my father was a child abuser. There's no judgment in that. I'm just calling a duck a duck. Now, I can also tell you that in the past... When I was much younger, I could not have ever said that about my father. I didn't want it to be true. I looked for any possible excuse, any excuse possible, to describe him in terms that were anything but unflattering, even though the reality was something else. Do you see how that worked? My feelings... My love for my father was tied up in controlling me, redefining a situation for me, instead of allowing me to be able to look at the thing for what it was. Acceptance is looking at a thing and being able to say what it is. There's no judgment to it. You know, people with emotional unhealth have a trouble with that. Because for them, simply stating a truth is judgment. That is a judgment. To the, unhealthy, to the emotionally unhealthy person, these things sound like judgments. But when they're simply describing the reality, there's no judgment to it. person, for example, take me, for example. I love my father. I hold out hope. Uh, that he will have certain realizations and that he will try to understand the damage that he caused me and my siblings and my mom in the past. And I love him. I love my father. And he was a child abuser. My father is a great man in certain ways, he's a very hard worker, he's fiercely intelligent. Knows a lot about the world, and he's very insightful about certain things. And he's a child abuser. You see how that works? Seeing a thing for what it is, not allowing our feelings to soften or redefine it in any way. So, me looking at a tree and saying, well, that's a tree. There's no judgment to it at all. I'm simply looking at it. I'm able to identify it for what it is. That's acceptance. The opposite of, of acceptance is denial. But is it helpful for the professional community to come up with a brand new term, radical acceptance, to describe what is really just acceptance? It's not helpful. Acceptance is acceptance, and anything less than that is denial. You see how easy that is? And do you see how the professional community gets a hard-on by stroking their own sense of intellect at your expense? I see now, lately, that uh, they're making efforts to rename Borderline Personality Disorder to something else. Is this for your benefit, No, of course not. As a group, they do nothing to help people authentically recover now while it's called borderline personality disorder. So what is the real purpose of changing the name of something they've never demonstrated a true grasp of in the first place? It's just a sly way of reinforcing their ongoing illusion of fake competence. Does authentic recovery from an emotional disorder hinge on whatever name it's given? No, it doesn't. It can be called anything. The name is utterly irrelevant. All that matters is that there is a name so that we all know we're talking about the same thing. So the professional community who does nothing but confuse people because they don't genuinely know what they're talking about, just as people start to feel like they're getting somewhere, what does the professional community do? Do they focus their attention harder on genuinely understanding the subtleties of the disorder so that maybe they can actually help people escape it? No. Instead, they focus their attention on something entirely pointless and irrelevant like changing the names of disorders they haven't even yet demonstrated an ability to fully understand. It's so ridiculous, you'd think I was making it up, but I'm not. It reminds me of Congress, you know, Congress here in the United States, passing a bill about whether or not, uh, I don't know, about whether or not cats can be in dog parks, when we've got people out on the streets starving, when we've got an immigration problem, when we've got all these real problems, and Congress wants to argue about whether cats can legally be allowed in dog parks or not. That's what this is like when these, the professional community, these experts, go changing a name on something like borderline personality disorder. Leave it the way it is. Everybody already knows what it is. We, the name does not matter. What matters is are you helping people get rid of that disorder or not? Are you, do you genuinely, are you genuinely able to demonstrate an intimate understanding of the subtleties of that disorder? And the answer is no. They, they can't do those things. So what do they do instead? They go passing a law so that cats can go be in dog parks. It's so ridiculous. But a second reason I don't allow people to parrot the professional community's terminology, apart from most of it downright endorsing subtly false ideas, is that when people speak this way, using the professional community's terminology, it reveals to me that a person is not using... Their critical thinking. They've simply embraced blindly and conformed, and they're now repeating those terms almost as a reflex. If you're using the terms of the professional community, I can almost guarantee that you do not understand the emotional disorder you're dealing with. I can almost guarantee it. All you have is a superficial understanding of things, and that is not going to get you anywhere. And you using this terminology from the professional community is keeping you locked into that mindset, a superficial mindset. You know, superficial means just the surface. When we talk about profound things, we're talking about under the surface, understanding a thing deeply. So when I hear people talking like that, It tells me they're not using their critical thinking. I want you to use your critical thinking. When people use their critical thinking, what I see instead, instead of them parroting the terminology of the professional community, what I see them doing instead is describing things using their own natural words. They speak like real people speak. Like if you were talking to me out in the street, or you're talking to your neighbor, that's how I want you to be able to talk about what it is you're dealing with. Because when a person explains something to you using their own natural words, there's no doubt or uncertainty whatsoever about whether or not they understand certain concepts beyond a superficial state. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, I was reading an article the other day. uh, Let's see if I can find this real quick. I read about a quarter of it, and I said, this guy just likes the smell of his own shit. And I I closed it down. I mean, the article was kind of interesting. I was learning a few things, but uh, just the language he was using... <laughs> made it very clear that he was he just talks to hear himself talk. He just loves the smell of his own shit. Let's see if I can find this here. Well, I can't find it. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The the article was <laughs> the guy sounded like like he was trying to impress himself with every word he used. Now, I'm not against a, a, you know, a full vocabulary or of using the English English language well, but um, it gets to a point where that line gets crossed and a person is just, just trying to sound as smart as they possibly can. And uh, typically, when I know a person's trying to sound smart, I assume they're not very smart. Well, let's talk about critical thinking here for a second because I brought it up. What is critical thinking? Well, you'll find all sorts of definitions of it on the internet, but here's the one that I like, which, if I'm not mistaken, comes from study.com. It says, Critical thinking means making reasoned judgments that are logical and well thought out. It's a way of thinking in which you don't simply accept all arguments and conclusions you're exposed to but rather have an attitude involving questioning such arguments and conclusions and this reminds me of the poem song of myself by Walt Whitman in his collection leaves of grass it goes like this have you practiced so long to learn to read have you felt so proud to get at the meaning of poems. Stop this day and night with me, and you shall possess the origin of all poems. You shall possess the good of the earth and sun. There are millions of suns left. You shall no longer take things at second or third hand, nor look through the eyes of the dead, nor feed on the specters and books. You shall not look through my eyes either nor take things from me. You shall listen to all sides and filter them for yourself. That song of myself by Walt Whitman. Now how telling is it that even when I looked up the definition for critical thinking on the internet, I did not simply embrace the first few definitions that appeared. <laughs> that's precisely critical thinking in live action. But here's where I disagree with Walt Whitman's poem. He suggests listening to all sides and filtering them. Who has that kind of time, and how smart is it to waste time listening to something you already know is bullshit? So I don't agree with old Walt in this regard. Because I don't think wasting time listening to bullshit upon bullshit is necessary. Isn't it true that if we have some common sense enough to know what to look for, in other words, if we've got some identifying traits to look for, then we don't have to entertain every single worthless source of information. I like to use the illustration of a a hundred $1 bills. Imagine we've dumped 100 $1 bills out onto a table. And I tell you that every single one of those dollar bills are counterfeit. They're not real. However, one of them is real. One of those dollars is authentic. It's the real deal. If I don't tell you what to look for, And you go trying to find that dollar by yourself. It might take you days. But if I give you a few simple tips on how to identify the authentic dollar bill, in other words, if I say an authentic dollar bill has this on it and this and this, and you can tell it's real because it it looks like this if you hold it up to the light, The paper feels like this. If I give you a few simple tips on how to identify the authentic dollar bill, is it necessary to examine every single dollar bill? No. A much superior method is to go searching for the real dollar bill. You know what it looks like. So let's say that you get five or six bills in and suddenly you find the real dollar bill, the authentic dollar bill. Once you locate it, you know you found it because it it matches the things I said would distinguish it from the other dollar bills, from the fake ones. Well, once you find it, there's absolutely no reason then to waste away the rest of the afternoon carefully analyzing every single one of the other counterfeit bills, right? Because what's the point? Once you identify the real thing, there's no practical purpose to be had by giving all of the fake dollar bills your time. The reason I bring up this illustration is because when I, myself, personally, was where you're at, And I was looking for answers. I wasted a lot of money and time on frauds, on people who just simply wanted to sit and talk and give me coping tricks. They didn't want to do anything real for me. I liked some of those people. I still like them. I mean, I like their personalities and stuff. But when I think about their negligence, The way they took advantage of me, cashed my checks, and gave me nothing in return when I was in serious pain and um, need. And I look at that situation uh, honestly, i got to call it what it is. On the other hand, when I finally encountered a couple people who had real answers, who had real insight, and who shared that with me. I knew what I had found. I knew what that what they were telling me was constructive and helpful and accurate. I did not have to go on testing out 50 n- new therapists and psychologists. I, I could stop right there. I knew that I had found what I was looking for. Most of you know that uh, the professional community is responsible for two major aspects of my own personal past experience. First, the professional community robbed me of my hard-earned money and time by hungrily, greedily taking as much money as they could from me for two years and continuing to call me back while never providing me any insights of practical value in return. Never, never did those psychologists focus on the causes of what I was dealing with. Instead, they gave me pointless, superficial coping tricks that absolutely anybody, anybody can read out of any book, in any Barnes & Noble or any library, You don't have to go to school for six or seven years to learn that superficial nonsense. You can just go to the bookstore, highlight it in a book, make a note of it, memorize it, and just repeat it, and you will be as useful to me as those professional, you know, air quotes, professional psychologists and experts were. Those superficial coping tricks that they repeated, just like they'd memorized it out of a book, do nothing whatsoever to address the causes of the disorder. So effectively, all of those experts for two years were setting me up so that I would forever continue living with borderline personality disorder while never understanding the causes of it or of gaining any insights about how to eliminate it, or of being able to distinguish its causes from its symptoms. If they had given me insights about those things, their coping tricks would become pretty irrelevant, wouldn't they? After all, you don't need coping tricks if you don't have the disorder anymore. Secondly, my second experience with the professional community is that I credit a few exceptional members of the professional community for having given me a solid, accurate foundation of practical insights, which allowed me to build upon those insights over the years and reach authentic recovery for myself. So am I a bitter critic of the professional community? Not at all. I'm a fair and reasonable evaluator of them. I'm not a person on the outside looking in. I was their client. I both credit individuals of that group for helping me while at the same time openly and honestly sharing the truth that those individuals who helped me were the exception. This is why I go to great lengths to distinguish between the professional community as a group as a group and the individuals who make up that group. As a group, the group is inept and incompetent. But there are individuals within the group who are extremely competent and extremely helpful, and I am in their debt. You've probably heard the expression, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Well, that's pretty much the situation I found myself in. A natural result of me identifying and realizing this incompetence. And, you know, there was some acceptance in there. I had to accept (laughs) that these people are just people. They're not superhuman. They, They don't have superhuman intelligence or knowledge or anything like that. A natural result of me identifying and realizing this incompetence and then making up for that incompetence is that I had to invent brand new terms to talk about certain recurring aspects of emotional health and emotional unhealth. But that's not all. I also had to come to reject other popularly embraced common terms that subtly contribute to to people's ongoing emotional unhealth that obstructs them from escaping it. Because what is the cure to emotional unhealth? The cure to emotional unhealth is three things. It's accurate education or information combined with personal, genuine desire. That's two things. Then, you sprinkle in the very last ingredient... Insight. And there you have it. The one and only true recipe for authentic recovery from emotional unhealth. What is a fundamental feature of emotional unhealth? Think about it for a second, okay? What is a major aspect of emotional unhealth that first makes a person emotionally unhealthy, in the first place, but then also prevents them from escaping that emotional unhealth. Well, it's this. This is the major aspect that I'm alluding to. Subtle misconceptions about feelings, self, and life. So let that simmer for a minute. Subtle misconceptions about feelings, self, and life are the entire cause of emotional unhealth to begin with. That sentence right there might be something that you want to make a note of and think about. What is emotional unhealth if we had to define it very simply? You know, we could easily spend an hour talking about how emotional unhealth behaves, how it behaves. But that's not the question, is it? The question is, what is emotional unhealth itself? Emotional unhealth is what naturally results from living with subtle misconceptions about feelings, self, and life. What does subtle mean? The word subtle and the word nuance are two words I use often and should never be taken for granted when I do. Why not? Because if something is in your face and obvious, it is easy to see and to avoid or to run away from. Why are emotional disorders so difficult to escape from? Is it because they're based on obvious things? No. It's because they're based on subtle misconceptions. Subtle. The entire nature of its causes are subtle. They're not in your face. They're not obvious. No, it's true. There ain't anything subtle about its symptoms all the time. The symptoms can be loud and obnoxious, but the nature of all the rest of it is so subtle as to be impossible to see. Think about it. How do we manage to grow up into emotionally unhealthy adults in the first place? It's because all of our misconceptions start out when we're really young, And those misconceptions are subtle. If our adopted misconceptions about our feeling self, and life were loud and obvious, people would catch it. Your teachers would catch it. Your neighbors would catch on to it. Our friends would catch on to it. All early on. And perhaps there'd be an opportunity for those misconceptions to be readjusted. But think about this. Nobody looks at a man who walks into Walmart and starts shooting a gun and thinks, you know what, I remember when he was six years old and his view on the nature of feelings was totally incorrect. No, nobody knows when we adopt a distorted, inaccurate perception about the nature of feelings when we're six, including ourselves. Nobody. Why not? Because it's the same perspective our parents have, and they don't know their perspectives are incorrect. Can you picture the bubble of distorted perception I'm describing? And when we're talking about distorted perception, are we talking about believing that green is blue? Or that stop signs mean to gun the engine of your car? Or that fire is cold? No, because those would be extremely dramatic misconceptions. And they'd translate into dramatic Obvious behaviors, wouldn't they? You see, if we had those kinds of misconceptions about life, other people would clearly catch that. They'd say, Whoa, 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 don't stick your hand in the fireplace. It's going to burn you. And you'd say, Oh, come on. Everybody knows fire's cold. And the person would say, Are you out of your mind? Watch what it does to this stick. And he'd stick a stick in there and the stick would burn. He'd say, put your hand close. You feel that heat? Now imagine if your hand were stuck inside of that flame. You see that? This dramatic misconception about something very fundamental to life would get caught very early. It would, it would get corrected. We're not talking about those types of misconceptions. Misconceptions. When we're talking about emotional health, unhealth, we're talking about subtle types of misconceptions. Very, very subtle. Our feelings are irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth. And so are we. Think about that. Our feelings are irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth. And so am I. This does not translate into any dramatic, obvious behaviors at first. That's why it don't get caught. That's why your parents, you know, they're not going to catch it because they believe that same way themselves, whether they know it or not. But now speaking about the way that these unconscious beliefs manifest and translate into behaviors... Do you know what behavior this subtle, subtle, I'm trying to emphasize that, misunderstanding, the the foundation beliefs of emotional unhealth, do you know what they do translate into? They translate into people keeping things to themselves, living secretly within themselves, presenting an identity to the world, but keeping one's real identity Secret. Why? How do I get that from the distorted beliefs that I've described? Well, because the person's perspective, the very perspective of the disorder, my feelings are shameful and so am I, that tells them that they must do this to avoid more shame. Do you see that even the first symptom of borderline personality disorder? is subtle. The person subtly stops sharing their real selves with anybody. Not with their parents, not with their siblings, not with anybody. They start retaining those things just for themselves. And as they grow, they start retaining and hiding away more and more of themselves deep inside of them. That's, that's the only place where it can stay safe. So the first symptom of borderline personality disorder is so subtle that a person on the outside wouldn't even know that a child is even doing this. Imagine it. You you cannot just look at a four or five-year-old child who's laughing and running around the playground and know if he's presenting his real self to the world. You can't know it. So how are you going to help correct that misconception the child is living with when the very misconception itself is causing the child to present a fake front to the world? It's not until adulthood when these perspectives really begin to clash with the rest of life. Even then, the person's now been living with the same erroneous perspectives for so long that they cannot even conceive of the idea of their perspectives being incorrect. It would never occur to them under normal circumstances that their perspectives might be wrong or that the resulting chaos in their lives are a direct result of their incorrect perspectives. Why not? The answer, again, is something unbelievably subtle. Because another direct result of believing our feelings are inherently shameful, devoid of worth, and so are we, is that we interpret the negative consequences or the natural disharmony we experience in life from these erroneous misconceptions as simply being confirmation of that we're inherently broken. Do you see that? I am inherently defective. I am without worth. I am a piece of shit. Something bad happens to me. What? How do I interpret that? Yep, yeah, there you go. Just like I already knew. I'm a piece of shit. And that's why that happens to me. You see that wheel? goes round and around. Unbelievably subtle thinking subtle misconceptions a normal person would look at something that they're doing which always ends up in a way that they don't want it to and they'd say man i'm doing i must be doing something wrong here i'm going to analyze what i'm doing wrong figure that out and then i'm going to try to do it differently entirely differently but do people with emotional disorders do that no it never even occurs to them. Even being a person that was in that situation and now being a person who's not in that situation, it still boggles my mind. Why did it never occur to me? Well, it never occurred to me because I thought my perspective on life described life as it really is. I thought my perspective on life was real life. Who's going to question that? Do you see that even that scenario, it's so subtly hard to break free from that. Things going wrong is exactly what their subtle misconceptions about reality predict. So, their perspectives on life clash with reality. They're, they're disharmonious. There's no harmony there. It's like a map. You're, you're following a map that is giving you wrong directions, and you end up in a cornfield. Is the person crazy because they ended up in the cornfield? No. They were, they were simply following what they thought was good information or what their perspective that this mapping app was going to give them correct directions. They end up in a cornfield. Now, an emotionally healthy person would say, well, clearly I'm in a cornfield. The mapping app is wrong. I'm not using that mapping app anymore. But does the emotionally unhealthy person come to those conclusions? No, they don't. They go right on trusting that mapping app. How sad is that? It's all they know. They don't know that there are any other mapping apps out there. It's, it's really sad. Everything about emotional disorders, everything about borderline personality disorder, is subtle. Subtle. Except for some of the symptoms, which are not the disorder itself. They're simply the natural results of the disorder. But everything about the disorder itself is subtle, so subtle as to be impossible to see to almost everybody for a very, very long time. Its origin is subtle. The way it affects the people who have it remains subtle all through childhood, even to close friends and family. They don't, they don't even see anything out of the ordinary. We already talked about why the family don't see it, because they've got the same perspective, From their perspective, the child is seeing the world exactly the way they should be. People grow up. They even marry other people. They get married to women and men who themselves are unable to perceive anything obvious out of the ordinary with that individual. That's how subtle we're talking When people finally get lucky and events finally conspire against them to force them to re-examine some of these fundamental beliefs that they laid down years and years ago, sometime between when they were born and five or six years old, when they're finally forced to re-examine some of these fundamental beliefs, even then, the causes, not the symptoms, but the causes of the disorder are not loud and obvious things. Instead, they're very subtle things. They require deep thought and examination, even when presented with the truth of what they're dealing with. Many people reject it out of hand because they only give things surface consideration. They don't think to analyze it below the surface. For example, just this week, I got a message in response to an article I had written about the causes of anger in people with borderline personality disorder. I wrote that the anger of people with borderline personality disorder ties into the two distorted core beliefs of borderline personality disorder. The, the two distorted core beliefs, which I've already described, but I'll describe them again. It's that the individual secretly believes, unconsciously believes, that they are inherently without worth, and that their feelings are inherently without worth, that the individual is devoid of worth and shameful, and so are their feelings. And I explained how these beliefs naturally translate into inner anger and frustration. Now, did the person who wrote to me take a few moments to chew over what I had explained, and do some thinking beyond that until she could see it for herself? No, she didn't. She wrote this. Not all of us are like that. Most of my anger boils down to me, who cannot believe that people think a certain way, which I find racist, closed-minded, mean, lacking in ethics, when I have been lied to, or feel there is a lack of respect directed toward me. That person is supposed to be good and dear to me. How could they do these bad things? What is she missing? What is going right over her head? What she's missing is the fact that most of her friends are probably not not mean racists who lie to her and who disrespect her. But you can see how the two distorted core beliefs, which I defined just a moment ago, easily allow her to interpret her friend's behaviors and perspectives that way. Of course she thinks her friends are disrespecting her, and it makes her angry. That's exactly the sort of treatment she, as a person who lives with the belief that she is a shameful piece of shit, expects. Of course everything is racist. The fundamental perspectives that she lives with insist that she interpret everything that way. Of course she thinks her friends are lying to her, even when they're not lying, and they simply misunderstand or they just make a mistake. Of course she's going to interpret it as them lying to her. Why? Because it's exactly the type of treatment a person who lives with her misconceptions about herself expects. In fact, it's the only, only type of treatment she expects. You're, you're never going to hear a person, I, I guarantee it, you're never going to hear a person who lives with the foundation, unconscious beliefs, that she has inherent worth, she doesn't have to do anything to earn it, she, just, she was born with it, and her feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. They're just always acceptable just the way they are. You're never going to hear this person talking about getting mad at all of her friends on a regular basis because they're lying racist, that they're mean, closed-minded, and don't respect her. Are you? You're never going to hear that. Why not? Because an emotionally healthy person, first of all, doesn't misinterpret normal things through a negative filter. The emotionally healthy person also does not take everything as a personal affront or offense because she's secure with herself. But do you see how, in my article, I had placed the chance for this woman to really learn about herself right there at her feet. And she instead skimmed the surface and did not go any deeper. And therefore she missed an opportunity. She was not willing to stop and connect a few dots. And so she missed a wonderful opportunity to know herself better, to know where those things are coming from, that anger. She missed out on a subtle but profoundly important insight about herself and about why she is the way she is. She she went, you know, I've talked about the why exercise in the past. You say, all right, I I have this opinion or I feel this way about a thing. And you say, well, okay, why? Well, because when I was six, uh, I had an experience with that thing and I really liked it. Okay, but why did you like it then? Well, I don't know. It reminded me of my grandfather. All right, why was that a good thing? A lot of people have grandfathers. That thing would never make them feel that way about that thing. Oh well, because I see a lot of myself in my grandfather. You see how asking why—I call it the why exercise—you just keep going back and back and back until you reach. You can't go no further. You get down to the very bottom, and the very bottom is usually your foundation beliefs, the way you view the world. We learn a lot about ourselves by going back as far as we can. Why? Okay, there's my answer. Why to that answer? Okay, get this answer. Why to that answer? All right, and you go down, 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 till you get to your very, very foundation self. Where did she stop? She stopped like at the first level. (laughs) She did not bother to connect any dots or to think any deeper about it. She just, I'm angry because people are racist. I'm angry because people lie to me. I don't think it's very reasonable to think that everybody's lying to her. But why does she feel that way? She should have asked that question and played the why exercise. Ignorance is a major contributing factor in this, as well as another thing that is much more powerful than ignorance, which is what? Well, we already talked about it. It's the opposite of acceptance, denial. What is denial? Two things. One, denial is looking a thing right in the face and yet not seeing what you're looking at. For example, I recently saw a great meme that fits this topic really well. The meme said, When people treat you like they don't care, believe them. Isn't that so obvious? A person's attitudes and behaviors always tell the truth, much more accurately than their words do. But how many people, when being mistreated, choose to to come up with explanations other than the obvious. Lots of people, right? Because they want to continue lying to themselves about something as simple as whether somebody really cares or not, or if that person is really just using you for their own needs. When people treat you like they don't care, believe them. What's the opposite of that? Denial. So for one thing, denial is looking at a thing but not seeing it. Secondly, denial is seeing something that is not there at all. For example, choosing to see love in an environment where love simply does not exist. I did it, for example, when I was a kid. Maybe you can relate to this. No matter, no matter what the abuse was, I say, well, my parents love me. Why? Because parents love their kids, right? That's the way the world should work. That's the way our hearts say the world should work. So even when we're looking at the opposite, we refuse to see it. We see love there instead. Now, I've talked about love Still, I'm blue in the face here lately. Uh, I've done at least three episodes on it. You can feel free to go through and uh, investigate those episodes where I talk exclusively about love. Now, did my parents care for me? Of course. Of course they cared for me. Um, But they don't know what love is, and therefore they cannot show me love. Because love meets certain requirements. It's a quality. It, it can't behave in certain ways. It cannot behave in certain ways. It, it's not that it just doesn't behave in certain ways. It cannot behave in certain ways. So denial, incredibly subtle and incredibly powerful. So now back to the whole point of this conversation. Everything about emotional unhealth involves in extremely subtle distortions in thinking. And now, let me repeat that. Everything about emotional unhealth involves extremely subtle distortions in thinking. So, what do you think is required to escape emotional unhealth? Very subtle corrections. Very subtle insights, very subtle, accurate corrections and perspectives, subtle, 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 subtle. Now, imagine that the person who is trying to escape emotional unhealth reaches out for information and that the information that they find that the professionals and the experts provide is in itself subtly distorted. Uh Uh-oh. Now you might be beginning to understand my disgust with much of the professional community. When they lazily refer to emotional disorders, emotional disorders, as mental health issues, is this insignificant? No, it's not, because it's a subtle but blatant lie. The person trying to recover from borderline personality disorder, for example, is told what they're dealing with involves mental health or mental illness. So what is the only natural conclusion that the client or the sufferer arrives at, that borderline personality disorder or whatever emotional disorder that person's dealing with involves a malfunctioning brain. Right? Think about it. Mental illness. Mental illness. Does borderline personality disorder or any emotional disorder involve a malfunctioning brain? It does not. Your brain and its functioning ability has absolutely nothing to do with emotional disorders at all. I've already explained what emotional disorders are. They're subtle, learned misconceptions about feelings, self, and life. That create disharmony or disorder with the reality around you. To illustrate it, it's no different than following a GPS that has outdated or erroneous maps. You're going to end up driving into a cornfield. And it's not because your brain is malfunctioning or you're crazy. It's because you're operating on erroneous Information And that erroneous information is clashing with the reality you're trying to n- navigate in. There's no other possibility except for disorder to result from that. You're going to end up in a cornfield or you're going to end up in a dead-end street or you're going to end up at a store that doesn't exist anymore. So does borderline personality disorder, does emotional unhealth have anything at all to do with your mental health? Does it have anything at all to do with your mental health? No. It entirely involves your emotional health. But good luck finding absolutely anybody in the professional community at all who understands this distinction as well as understands the significance of using this terminology in a responsible way that accurately communicates the reality of what people are dealing with and therefore allows them to accumulate these accurate corrections to their subtle misconceptions and escape emotional disorders once and for all. You see, the disorder already involves... Subtle misconceptions. And then all the information on the subject that you go to for help does what? It feeds you subtle misconceptions. Half-truths. The only way to escape all this is, one, being willing and wise enough to accept that a lot of these celebrated voices on this subject, who are blindly recognized as having the answers, are instead contributing to a broader campaign of subtle lies and misinformation rather than helping people avoid it and two recognizing that these subtleties matter yes they matter very much it is no small thing to use terms like triggers it reflects it reflects a distorted false perspective on what's really happening until you reject the term you are encouraging yourself to remain in that distorted, totally false mindset. By the way, I won't rehash all of it here because anybody who's interested in, on this subject can go back and hear me explain why triggers are bullshit. That term is, is bullshit. But I just wanted to add something here because somebody in my group asked about it this week. There is no such thing as Triggers because triggers implies that external things are responsible for your feelings, behaviors, and decisions, and that's just not true. You're a self-contained machine, and nothing external can generate what happens inside of you. Do you know who the only thing that is that can? You, yourself. You're the one. You're in total control of everything inside there. But it is true that external things can trigger or influence our thoughts. This is why I have never said that you have a choice at all times about what you think. Instead, I have always made the subtle, accurate statement, we each have total control over what we choose to continue thinking about. And I'm going to add here, how we think about something. In other words, our perspective on anything. The reason this is relevant is that all of our feelings come from our thoughts. You know, when I say thoughts, that includes memories, and includes perspective. Memories and perspective are just thoughts. So even though nothing external that, that is outside of our body can initiate our feelings... Because it's our thoughts that do this. Our own thoughts generate our feelings. External things can cause ideas to come into our minds. Right? You look at a poster. There's a beautiful woman. You might think sexy things. Even so, we have full power over whether we ourselves will continue thinking those things. We have the ability to identify those thoughts And choose if we're going to continue thinking those things or if we're going to turn our thoughts somewhere else. We even have full power over how we choose to think about a thing. How we want to perceive it. You know, we see the poster of the sexy girl in the bikini. We can say, oh God, what a slut. Or we can say, you know what, what a slut. Wait a second. Uh, You know, she's in her 20s. She looks good. She's probably just enjoying her youth. I would probably have done the same thing. <laughs> so we have full power over how we choose to think about a thing. We can think about it as good or bad, as a neutral thing, or as a sad thing, or as a painful thing, or as a painful yet constructive thing, as I do about my experience with my crisis with borderline personality disorder. You see? Do you see how even here the details and their implications are subtle? Subtle is the name of the game. So shame on the professional community, the institutions and groups who are entrusted with people's emotional health. They're entrusted by society with people's emotional health and with educating people about these subjects. So shame on them for their complete inability as a group to first value the importance of accurate subtlety, and to pass those insights on to their clients, which could mean true, a true cure for them. Instead, what, what do they embrace? They embrace inaccurate subtlety, and they pass this on instead. It's a crime, I'm telling you. In your own work, please pay attention to subtleties. Try hard to understand the nuances and their implications. Dedicate time to ruminating over these things. They're going to help you very, very much in your ongoing efforts to permanently and authentically recover from whatever emotional disorder it is that you're dealing with. To fully understand it intimately and therefore escape it. Okay, winding down here. I wanted to share a poem with you that I wrote a couple years ago because it's been a while since I've shared any poetry with you. I might have even uh, shared this before. I don't remember. But it's a poem I wrote, so it's a Brian Barnett original. And it's called The Lie. I wrote it in May 2017. The Lie by Brian Barnett. And how faintly I recall you. Gloomy night, pines over lane. Gray moonlight dripping through the clouds and falling rain. spilt words upon your glassy skin. Shared years come multiply. Wet vows of all the love within. Such humid, earnest lies. Space-time secrets soon revealed. Spry end to passion's fast. Polaris, in a cornfield, would found it long at last. Nova birth, hello farewell, each pulse a stellar breath, intensity in the stairwells, on our hike to sudden death. Love-making on a mountain, the constellations in your eyes, a permanent camp to rest herein, all cosmic, spiraled lies. So swear your heart eternal Beyond age of all's demise Safe kept in time sad journal Dust covered heartfelt lies All lies The Lie by Brian Barnett May 2017 Just want to encourage you one last time To visit thelastsymptom.com If you'd like to make a donation to me there You can. And if you're interested in a one on one personal conversation with me, you can schedule that right from thelastsymptom.com. Well, it's that time again. Are y'all ready? We've arrived at the encouraging finale. Back in the spring, I was mowing the grass in my backyard. And the mower hit a marshy area. And that was when I discovered that the sewer was having a problem. After a month, that little marshy area had grown into a full pond. Oh, how I cursed my situation. So I called the plumbers, and the plumbers come out, and they fixed it. And while they were fixing it, they said, look, this is not your sewer line. This is your neighbor's sewer line. Oh, oh, how gross. I lamented my situation. Wasn't happy about it at all. They fixed the leak and they covered the area back up with dirt. A few weeks later, I went on a backpacking trip. And I was gone for a week. And when I come back, I started mowing the grass again. I got to the area where the sewer break had been, do you know what I found? At least 30 tomato plants growing there in that dirt. I don't know what my neighbor's diet consists of, but I'm guessing that tomatoes make up a large part of it. But that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story is that in the spring, I was really, really hoping to plant some tomato plants, and I never got around to it. Now, I have more tomatoes than I know what to do with. Out of my misfortune, one of my desires for this summer became fulfilled.